You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, Westside. My name is Evan, and it is great to be with you. I'm honored to be able to preach today as we continue our series in the miracles of Jesus. Uh, last night, uh, we're enjoying some fireworks. My daughter and some of her cousins were there, and um, she's eight years old. And as we were lighting off some fireworks, she said this. She said, uh, kids, not kids, but to her cousins, she said, never play with fire. Well, except for the 4th of July. And I love the exceptions to the rules uh, the 4th of July offers. People can be setting off explosives in your backyard in the middle of the night, and it's just normal one day out of the year. So we're in Luke chapter 8 today. We're in part four of our series in the miracles of Jesus. I've been so encouraged by um, these weeks as we've looked at how Jesus encountered people, how Jesus healed people, how Jesus uh, moved through the chaos and the trouble of life to show and express God's compassion to those who are in need. And we're going to do the same thing today as well. And Luke chapter 8, let's begin reading in verse 22. It says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came over uh, the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. I was remembering back about 10 years ago in 2009, uh, my wife and I went to the island of Kauai in Hawaii. And uh, as we were enjoying our time there, uh, one evening, afternoon, we were sitting on the beach and we looked out and we saw um, one of these uh, sunset cruises as it was tracking across the horizon as the sun was setting and the waters were, were peaceful and it was beautiful. And we looked at each other and I said, well, you know, we should do that. And so we looked into it and, uh, and saw the price tag and, and as somewhat newlyweds, we were broke. And, and so I noticed that there was another option besides the sunset cruise for an early morning cruise. And with that, you could save like 20 bucks. So I said, we're going to do the early morning one. You just have to get up at 5 a.m., drive around the island. It's going to be great. So uh, we signed up for this, this early morning, uh, not even a breakfast cruise. It was too early for breakfast even. We get on the boat. It's cold. And we set out for the beautiful Nepali coast. Now, um, the marketing materials for the Nepali coast dinner cruise look something like this. You can see a photo here of what uh, is promised, that you're going to experience this kind of beauty and uh, you know, recreation as you look at the stunning Nepali coast. Well, we set out at six in the morning and headed straight into a storm. And this was actually kind of what um, actually our, our experience looked like heading towards the... Okay, well, that's, that's actually from the, uh, the movie, The Perfect Storm, but it kind of encapsulates the vibes on the vessel. We spent three hours and we never made it to the Nepali coast because the waves were too high and the storm was too bad. And I was remembering that, that as we were... Um, doing what was supposed to be, uh, you know, a, a relaxing, um, something you'd want to pay for kind of experience instead became this terrible hours long, you know, exercise in discipline and the ability to endure. And, you know, in that storm, there was a couple of options I had to calm my nerves. And the first would have been to look 
straight into the storm, hoping for a break. Hoping that if I, I stare into the waves and, and look into the, the sky, maybe I'll see the signs of the storm subsiding. It got so bad, actually, that the captain at one point got on the loudspeaker and he asked everybody to, to get into the back of the boat because every time uh, we would hit these waves um, after a while, the bow of the vessel would actually go completely underwater before it would come out of the waves. So looking at the storm wasn't a good option. The second option was to look at the crew. And the thing about when I look at the crew on that boat ride was that I knew that as long as they weren't worried, I didn't have to be worried. Now you have to worry when the captain jumps overboard and the crew starts, you know, buckling themselves down to the, the, the deck. That's when you got to worry. As long as they're okay, you're okay. In this miracle, we see Jesus and the disciples are freaking out. And many of these guys, they grew up on the ocean. They grew up fishing. They, they know boats. They know storms. They know what they're in for. And even they are so worried about this storm that they say, master, master, we're going to drown. And Jesus sleeps through it all. You know, 2020 has been um, a major disruption. 2020 has been um, a storm, to say the least. Even today, you know, driving up into the parking lot that's empty and walking through the doors and coming into this building that's empty and standing here in front of all these empty chairs and preaching to an empty room. Never once through the course of this morning have I looked out and thought, just as I planned. Just as, as we had hoped for, everything is going according to plan. I know many of you, um, this has been extremely difficult for so many reasons, whether it's financial, emotional, relational. So much has not gone according to plan in 2020. And we have this opportunity when the storm that we're in seems like it won't end to find our hope. And the temptation for me, and I don't know about if this is true for you, but the temptation for me is to stare into the storm, is to get on the news, is to go on social media, is to check the internet, get on Twitter, look at what my friends are saying, look at what other opinions are out there, hoping that I can find something that will give me a source of strength or hope or the sense that the storm is going to be over soon. And I don't know about you, but I'm not finding that. And so we have another opportunity today. We have the opportunity to look to Jesus. You know, as soon as Jesus wakes up and he rebukes the storm and the winds calm down, he turns to his disciples and he says, come on guys, where's your faith? Which I think is a little harsh to the disciples, but it's interesting that he brings up faith. And, and here's the thing about faith. Um, I, I grew up in churches and we would, we would hear message after message about faith. And I started to get the sense and the impression uh, that faith was like this elevated sense of denial. So that means that, you know, if you're sick, actually you're not really sick. If you're broke, it's actually not a money problem. It's a faith problem. And hey, when the storms of life come, just have more faith and believe that you're actually not in a storm at all. See, what Jesus offers us through this story is the fact that there's no denying it. The disciples were in a storm. The disciples knew good and well what that storm had the power to do in their lives. But what faith would tell them was that in the storm, three things are true. And here are the three things that are true. Number one, he's still in the boat. Number two, he's not worried. And number three, the winds and the waves still recognize his voice. 
You see, being with Jesus in the storm is not the same as being abandoned to the storm. That if Jesus comes with us, we don't have to deny the existence of the storms of life or what we're going through now. We can say, we know it's bad, but he's with us. And the winds and the waves still recognize his voice. You see, Jesus slept not because he didn't care about his friends, but because he was confident in his authority over the storm. I know I could end there today. Um, I think that's a pretty good sermon. But I've been preaching for like six minutes, and I'm contractually obligated to preach for at least another 10. So we're going to go to the second part of this miracle today. And it's actually a a double part miracle. And so I want to keep reading in Luke chapter 8. Verse 26, it says, Then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man, and many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. And when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his, and, it, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured, and then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. And the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Well, I'm glad that's not a weird story at all. Um, Back to Hawaii. Do you remember, I think they used to do this. I'm not sure they do this anymore. But when the tourists would arrive at the airport in Hawaii and they they would get off the plane, um, they would be met um, by Hawaiians who would, who would take these flower lays and put them around the tourist's neck and, and uh, greet them and, you know, welcome to Hawaii, aloha. And, and it was this wonderful, hospitable experience. This is the opposite of that. Jesus gets off the boat, steps onto shore, and literally a crazy naked guy runs out of a tomb and screams, Jesus, don't torture me. And this is terrible tourism. This is, this guy is the worst branded ambassador I've ever heard of. It's like the upside down, you know? I actually put in my notes, it's like Hill Valley uh, when Biff took over. Do you remember that? This is, this is a crazy place. And here's the first thing that the disciples learn about miracles and learn about this miracle, and I think we can learn from it today, is number one, the miracle can get awkward. The miracle can get awkward. Um, we've been hearing stories about your home churches, and I know many of you are watching in a home church right now. 
Um, just some of the awkwardness that goes along with trying to have church in a living room. Um, some, sometimes I think, you know, it's just that the music is really problematic. Um, we sit in a room with, with five or 10 people expected to sing. And some of you, I know you're thinking this, I got to get a better sound system. I got to buy a nice sound bar or something. It is just too awkward when the music starts. Thank you for pushing through the awkward. If you're watching today and you're just visiting one of our home churches for the first time today, someone asked you to come and you joined and you're not sure about it, you feel like it's awkward, thank you for being there. We acknowledge you, we, we see you, and uh, we're so glad you're joining in. And we know that this is a little different. This isn't what we're used to. In this big room where I'm standing in right now, uh, it's, it's dark, it's quiet, it's peaceful. Um, we know sometimes you guys take naps in the middle of services here. Um, sometimes you snore out loud. I get it. Uh, because it's so peaceful and calming and it's like being wrapped in a cocoon in this room. Not so in a living room. Not so. But through this awkwardness, we're experiencing something uh, unique and wonderful and it's community and it's real and it's raw. But man, is it awkward. And I'm telling you, you got good company because the disciples get off this boat. They've been shaken up. They've come through the storm. And now what? Crazy naked guy. Jesus, don't torture me. Jesus, send us into the pigs. I mean, this is some awkward stuff. And I'm certain that some of those disciples, maybe not all, but some of those disciples would much rather have been able to go back to the shore where they started. After a storm like that, after they're afraid for their lives, it probably would have been easier to call it a day and go home. You see, back on the shore where they started, that was Galilee. Um, that was what they were used to. That's where Jesus taught in the synagogue. That's where he, he taught the multitudes. That's where he performed miracles. That's where so much of their lives had been lived. It was Galilee. It was familiar. It was normal. It was home. And how much easier would it have been for those disciples to go back to the shore where they started? But that actually misses the point. And how sad would it be if we get through the worst of it only to go back to where we started? You see, Jesus never allowed the storm to derail the mission. He never allowed what happened on the lake to keep them from accomplishing the purpose for which they set out on the lake in the first place. The old shore is the safe shore. The old shore is the easy shore. The old shore is the home shore. But Jesus does this with the disciples. He pushes them into new places that are awkward and uncomfortable and unfamiliar because the miracle is for the guy on the other side. I hope we're not in such a rush to get back to the shore where we started that we miss out on what Jesus called us to in the first place. The miracle is for somebody on the other side. It's easy to think that everything is about me. I do it all the time. Ask my wife. But we have to constantly remind ourselves as we follow after Jesus that this is greater than me. In fact, tell that to somebody next to you or, or just say it out loud. The miracle is greater than me. The miracle is greater than me. Because here's the thing. Crazy naked guy will never make it across the sea into Galilee where Jesus hangs out most of the time. Crazy naked guy isn't going to fit into the crowds there. Crazy naked guy isn't going to find Jesus while he's teaching in the synagogue and ask for help. 
And at Westside, a guy like that would never make it past the parking lot for good reason. Several years ago, um, I was youth pastoring here at Westside, and we had a, um, a local outreach weekend where we got uh, maybe 25, 30 of our high school students, and we, we stayed here at the church. And then during the day, we'd go out, and we would, we would serve the city, and we'd volunteer at different nonprofits and uh, do can drives and all, all sorts of things. And in the evenings, we'd come back, and we'd have worship services, and, and we'd do little teachings. And uh, we called it Serve Central Oregon. And the hope through this was that these high schoolers would, would gain an appreciation and a love for serving, not just when they would go far away to mission trips in other cities or other countries, but understand that actually um, there's places to love people here in, in our city. And I remember one of the nights uh, that we were back here after dinner and we were doing a little service for the kids and, and we we're worshiping and the doors open and in walks uh, a man who was, who was clearly drunk and uh, uh, seemed like he was most likely homeless. Um, and he started yelling in the back of the room, right over here in our student center. And so uh, the band was playing worship and, and singing, and, and this guy is, is disrupting. And so I walk back to the back of the room, and I, I pulled him into the hallway, um, and I started to talk to him. And I said, you know, bro, we're trying to help our, our students understand that they can serve their community and love hurting people, and you're really disrupting their training. Okay, I didn't say that, but here's the thing. I didn't uh, bring him in, and I wasn't able to help him either, and for good reason. Um, I don't think anybody, especially not the parents, would have said, no, you should have just brought him in and made him part of the, of the event because there's safety issues. These are kids. There's reasons, good reasons, why we just weren't set up in that moment to meet this guy's need, to minister to him in a way that was, was meaningful other than turning him away. There was good reasons for that. And here's the fact, this building, this facility, this space, for all the good that it is, for all the Galilee that it is, for as much as God works and, and, and moves and does amazing things in this space, it has its limits. We, we do things in a certain way here. Why? Because we have a lot of people here in normal years. And we have to consider the children that are in the building and, and the, the concern for safety and, and just the disruption factor and all those things. But that doesn't mean for a second that the gospel doesn't belong to those who are outside the norm, who are outside of what is socially acceptable in places like this. And Jesus knew this, that if, if he, the man, this crazy naked guy, couldn't get to Galilee, he was going to go to where that guy was. And that's what the gospel does. And we're in this crazy time. Nobody asked for this. Nobody's high-fiving around here. Isn't this great? No, we miss you guys. We miss you. But in this time, what an opportunity we have to follow Jesus from what is familiar and safe and normal into a place that's crazy and a little wild and a little unpredictable to see the gospel do what the gospel always does, which is to reach into the margins of society to people that would never belong. By the way, Jesus said this. He said uh, that the sick don't need, or the, sorry, the righteous. I'm going to start that over. Jesus said the healthy don't need a doctor but the sick. 
I've come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. And the truth is that this place is pretty tough for people who don't feel righteous a lot of times. Walking into church, that can be a tall order. But the gospel wasn't designed for the righteous. Jesus' mission wasn't to come and, and, and heal those who were already healthy. He came for the sick. He came just to call sinners. And so he pushes us out into unfamiliar territory to do the same. This is where the gospel is meant to go. Jesus heals this man miraculously. The demons leave him. And the guy puts on clothes, which is a good first step. Anytime you're moving towards health, clothes kind of come with the deal. He puts clothes back on, and, and this is interesting. The people in the town are terrified. They got used to the crazy naked guy. They learned how to deal with the guy who was living in the tombs and couldn't be contained. They, they got used to how to, how to kind of manage and live and coexist with that guy. But, man, a healed, sane, clothed guy with pants on, they didn't know how to deal with that. And so they're terrified. Many times the miracle feels like a disruption. It disrupts how things are. It disrupts what we're used to. It takes us out of the familiar. It's human nature to prefer the demon we know over the unknown. And Jesus help us if we ever choose familiar evil over holy disruption. Because when Jesus comes into our space, that we have spent years, our whole lives, getting used to, and he starts to mess with us, and he starts to push us, and he starts to challenge us, it's easier to do what the townspeople did, which was to say, Jesus, we need you to leave. This is too much of a disruption. But God help us to embrace disruption so that we might cling to Jesus. I don't want to be the townspeople that send him away. I want to be the townspeople that say, this is so different and crazy, but whatever it takes for you to stay, we'll follow you to the ends of the earth. The way of Jesus is scary and unfamiliar. Many only followed him for a little while because when he would actually get down to the business of what he came to do, it was too unfamiliar. It's too much of a challenge. And so, um, Westsiders, friends, if we're all in on the way of Jesus, if, as Pastor Steve said a couple weeks ago, we want to double down on Jesus, it actually requires disruption and opening ourselves up. And by the way, this is, <laughs> this is not a political statement. Right, left, libertarian, Green Party, one of those weird other third parties that you don't even know exist. Whatever you're at, whatever you fall on a political spectrum, set that aside. Jesus always challenges us. Jesus always calls us into things that, that, that we naturally aren't necessarily wanting to do. This is the way of Jesus, always calling us forward onto the waters. Why? Because the gospel needs to go to unfamiliar shores. And how does he do that? He uses us. He uses us stepping into boats, into storms, 
having faith, walking through the worst, only to show up on shores where the gospel hasn't been, where it hasn't been welcomed, hasn't been accessible to bring Jesus to those places. You know, there's so much about the old shore that I want to go back to. But what I want even more than that is to be wherever Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, we actually uh, want to pray. I, I want to pray a scary prayer today that, that would invite the disruption of Jesus into my life and my church. That in a year where everything feels disrupted, that we wouldn't just assume every disruption is only external and evil or outside of the work that you're doing in this moment. That in the middle of really gnarly storms, Jesus, you're present and your authority is here. And so we put our trust and we focus our eyes on the Jesus that's in our boat. Jesus, take us into unfamiliar places. Stir our hearts with empathy and compassion. Remind us that the gospel is what we're here for. We're not here to win points. We're not here to, to prove our, our correctness. We are here for the gospel. The good news that Jesus still saves. He's still here. He's still at work. He still works in miracles. Jesus, as a church, we put our trust in you. We want to stay with you. We want to cling to you. We want to see how you might disrupt our neighborhoods and our homes and our cities. But we need grace to do it. We need grace to choose you over how it's always been and what's familiar. And so, Jesus, be with us. Be with every family. Be with every mom and dad. Be with every um, sibling and, and child. Be with every college student and high schooler. Be with everybody who is, is wondering what's going to happen in their business. Be with everyone who is, is, is struggling to find some sort of uh, emotional anchor in this moment. Jesus, be with your church today. How we love you how we trust you, and how we look forward to the work that you're doing in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.